This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. During Harvey, a lot of it was community driven. You know, that's what we use the Zello app for is because obviously you have your 911 uh, system that's already in place, but what happened is that that system was so overwhelmed that people were looking out in other avenues. They were posting things on social media and they were coming on the Zello app saying, hey, we need rescue. Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking. And today we are talking with John Cole from the Texas Disaster Incorporated. And we're going to be focusing on the private emergency response organizations. I've been doing a little bit of research on this, and you know, you've heard me talk about Team Rubicon, the volunteer organization uh, that does disaster response, and we've had them on the show. However, it's a growing phenomenon here uh, in the United States and the world with volunteer and, uh, in some cases, for-profit disaster response agencies. Even so much so that the GAO, the U.S. Government Accountability Office, put out a, uh, a paper that there is a trend to continue according to the U.S. Global Change and Research Program and the National Academy of Sciences that certain uh, weather events are, and extreme heat events and heavy rain events will become more common and limiting the, the federal government's fiscal exposure by better managing uh, these risks. And this is kind of what they're talking about here. However, the paper also goes into the responsibility for disaster management and operates across a range of federal, state, and local non-government entities that have specific authority, resources, expertise, and interests. FEMA is advocating for the whole community approach to disaster management, and this includes individual families, communities, private and non-profit sectors, faith-based organizations, local, state, tribal, territory, other areas such as this. So the federal government is really encouraging these non-profit and in some cases for-profit disaster response agencies that come in. And when I say for-profit, most likely they're billing and being paid for uh, by FEMA or by the federal government or by local agencies with reimbursement uh, by the federal government. So you'll see this with like uh, inter- like the incident management teams, firefighting organizations that are coming out that are private firefighting organizations uh, for wildland fire, that type of stuff. So that's what we're talking about for profit, not that they're charging the individual homeowner. But interestingly enough, there is uh, Rapton, it's a humanitarian travel. They're talking about the 34 disaster relief organizations that they have looked at. So today we're talking to a local organization in Texas uh, that was started basically because of Hurricane Harvey. Before we get into this interview, don't forget, you can always catch us at www.emweekly.com. Also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, MySpace. No, just joking about MySpace. Um, All the social media that's out there. Anyway, enjoy the interview and thanks for listening. Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVos speaking. And today I have with me from Texas and the uh, Texas Disaster Incorporated is John Cole. John, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you so much, Todd. I appreciate the invitation, and uh, it's an honor to be here. So, John, tell me you know, about your background and then how disaster or Texas Disaster, Inc. got started. 
Okay. Well, basically my background is not in emergency management. Uh, I am by no means a uh, emergency management professional. I got involved with uh, EM during Hurricane Harvey. Uh, essentially, it just started off with a Facebook post. I was asking people if they needed to borrow my John boat. And nobody wanted to come out to Crockett, Texas to pick it up, uh, which is about an hour and a half, couple hours away from Houston. And so after uh, that process, I, I kind of got uh, turned on to a Zello channel and I started listening in on some of the communications they were having and come to find out they were needing some actual rescues. And so I guess I got it in my heart to go out and, and pick up the boat myself. So I went out to Crockett and picked up the boat, strapped it on the back of my truck, and drove out to the Crossing Church in the Woodlands, Texas. And from there, they uh, they essentially they just dispatched me out to a location to, to go rescue people. And so, yeah, I just uh, kind of got involved with the, the volunteer rescue efforts during Harvey. And from there, it led into the volunteer relief efforts. And it's kind of been a bug that's been stuck in me ever since. Well, that's really cool. You know, the Zello channel, we actually did a, an interview with the CEO of, of Zello a few months ago, and I was able to listen to the entire, well, not the entire, but to a lot of what the rescues were going on down there. So that was a really kind of a cool tool during, during Hurricane Harvey. So you got, you got in your boat, you, you drive down to, you know, where help is needed, you have your Zello going on, you're listening to the, to the app there, and, and you get dispatched out. What was your next step? How did you know that this was something that, that was needed in Texas? And, and two, how did, how did you go about organizing your organization? Well, I guess I was blessed with a whole heck of a lot of problems. I uh, experienced a lot of problems firsthand or knew people that experienced problems, you know, kind of secondhand. I'm kind of the guy that is always looking for better ways of doing things. Tinker, I'm an inventor, I'm a visionary, I guess, you know. And so I always always think about different ways of doing things. And I guess I had a lot of issues that I personally experienced uh, with, with coordination, with privacy, with just lack of transparency, people coming on and, you know, just kind of doing their own free will. And what happened is we had, you know, people coming out to certain areas that we didn't need them to be. Uh, I was personally was at a place out there in Memorial Drive in Hollywood. And one of the first problems that I experienced was I was out there uh, messing with my boat uh, motor, trying to get it to work after a few days of being out there. And, you know, I had somebody come on the Zello app, started saying, uh, hey, we need more boats out at uh, Memorial Drive in Tallywood. And I was actually around uh, talking to a bunch of folks there. And, you know, I started asking them, I was like, hey, you know, do we need more boats out here? Because it looked like a lot of people were coming back in with their boats. And everybody was saying, no, no, actually, it's it's pretty full out there. We've got more than enough people. And uh, so, you know, that's when I first started having issues with coordination. You know, uh, there, there were no more boats needed out there. So I got back on the Zello app saying, you know, hey, where'd you get this information from? And he was like, oh, well, I'm just out here. And there's there's a couple of people out here that, that need to be rescued. And we're not able to, to actually take them up. And so, you know, that's when I started getting on the, the Zello app saying, hey, no, we don't need any more boats, uh, you know, send them somewhere else. Also had, like I said, I was out there tinkering with my boat, trying to get it to work. And you know, I was trying to find a boat mechanic. Uh, there was several people that had came on to the Zello app saying, hey, you know, if anybody needs uh, any kind of mechanic work, you know, I'm able to do that. And so I was on the Zello app looking for those people that actually had offered that help and I couldn't find them. So I had experience, uh, you know, trying to find somebody with a specific asset or skill set 
and it was just very difficult to do so. You know, people would come on the Zello app and then they would get off of it and you wouldn't hear from them for hours on end. And so I started realizing that, you know, there's got to be a different way of doing this. And so that's kind of what I started to do is is just vision a a better way of doing things. I imagine if people had the ability to put themselves up on a queue uh, that allowed them to, I guess, transmit their exact location and it goes into a queue that allows them to be dispatched out appropriately, it would make things a lot easier. And also, I am kind of imagine that if people were to have the ability to search for somebody with a specific asset or skill set during times of disasters, it, it would make things a lot easier as well. And so it was just a lot of different problems that I experienced personally and, and secondhand that kind of led me to where I am today. So your organization, how, how does it interact with, say, the current fire and EMS and law and emergency management? How do you guys get your jobs, for instance? Well, I mean, during Harvey, a lot of it was community driven. You know, that's what we use the Zello app for is because obviously you have your 911 uh, system that's already in place. But what happened is that that system was so overwhelmed that people were looking out in other avenues. They were posting things on social media and they were coming on the Zello app saying, hey, we need rescue. And so since these people, uh, the the first responders were were so overwhelmed, it uh, caused the ordinary civilians to kind of jump in and start coordinating things and actually rescuing people. So the main thing that I set out to do originally was to kind of put a platform out there to allow people to do that with. With Zello, you know, we had a lot of issues with privacy. People would come online and say, hey, you know, my address is da-da-da, and I need rescue. And people would actually come, you know, and listen to that because anybody can, can listen to it. And uh, afterwards, their, their houses would get vandalized or people would, uh, you know, set up, you know, kind of booby traps to uh, kind of lure people in and, uh, you know, fake rescues. And so it just, you know, it doesn't necessarily have the ability right now to integrate with current systems. That is definitely a, a goal of ours to to accomplish full interoperability between all agencies. I guess our main purpose right now is to create a platform for interoperability between civilians and other NGO type organizations. Because we didn't know what the, the Red Cross was doing. We didn't know what the Cajun Navy was doing. We didn't know what Team Rubicon was doing. We didn't know what anybody was doing. Everybody was kind of off doing their own thing and posting their information on different channels. So, you know, the problem with that is, you know, we had a lot of issues with redundancy, inaccuracy. People would post saying, hey, you know, these people out here need this rescue when uh, they were actually were rescued, you know, several hours back. And so the main key point uh, that, that we're trying to do is create a system that allows people to, you know, essentially just coordinate the disaster rescue and relief efforts, you know, from a you know, population or, or a community standpoint. But, you know, we do have some ideas as far as integration into the current 911 systems. You know, obviously, when it comes to the current systems reaching out to us, that's going to be one thing we're going to have to work on. But we have, you know, some ideas on allowing people to hit that panic button and ask for rescue. And it would immediately send out a notice to all of our people or a certain person within our group that allows them to dispatch that information from there. But at the same time, it also hang up, you know, with that connection and then call 911. So they would get the notification and we would get the notification and we'd be able to respond accordingly. Are you in talks right now with with anybody prior to a disaster, like in the blue sky days, or is this more 
you guys are sort of doing your own thing and waiting for the grace guy to come again. Well, I mean, we have reached out to several different folks. Uh, we actually uh, attended a conference down in New Orleans, had some great talks with the president of the Cajun Navy, and got several other contacts in the AM field that I'm communicating with now. And you know, I've even had, you know, FEMA, uh, their public, I guess, liaison to the public sector uh, reach out to me and, and say, you know, your idea, you've got a pretty interesting idea and I'd like to find out a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of something that's in the works. Obviously, it's only started since Harvey. Uh, I've been going pretty much full force with it since Harvey. I was real involved with the, the relief side of things more so than the rescue. I kind of was late in the game on the rescue side of things. And then from there, it, it turned into more of a, a relief operation and recovery operation. And that's where I got highly involved with things. But uh, to answer your question, I guess we haven't really opened up any collaborations other than uh, with the Cajun Navy. Everybody else kind of been, uh, you know, peaking interest into the project, but I haven't actually set up any kind of cooperation or partnerships with those uh, entities just yet. Are you guys a 501c3? No, actually, that was another thing that kind of came about during that uh, conference down in New Orleans. Our original intentions were to form as a 501c3. However, after talking to multiple people in the nonprofit sectors and also talking uh, with Mr. Boudreaux down there and then also talking with several different investors, we realized that we didn't really have a nonprofit business model. Uh, We didn't really want to have to rely on gifts or donations from people. We wanted to be able to sustain ourselves. And so that's when we started coming up with an actual business model, uh, something that will allow us to sustain ourselves and become a benefit corporation. So no, we're not 501c3. We're not a nonprofit. Uh, we do intend on filing for one in the near future, but our main uh, corporation is just as it is. It's a Delaware C Corp that we intend on uh, operating as a benefit corporation. Like I said, the main thing we were concerned about is being able to find a way to make ourselves uh, sustainable without having to rely on those gifts. And, you know, after talking to Mr. Boudreaux, and they're, they're one of the more recognized agencies out there doing similar things to what we're doing, and they're, they're struggling, you know, they're struggling to, to find money and pay for the things that they need. So that was one of the things that we, we didn't want to have to go through along with all the red tape and the stipulations that come along with being a nonprofit. Right. What are you guys are doing now? Like, I mean, do you guys just train right now or are you going out and doing a public work? What, what do you do now in between the disasters? The rest of that story when we return from our break. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Exercises are a cornerstone of emergency preparedness, but can be costly, time-consuming, and complicated. TTX Vault can ease the exercise planning process with our wide array of tabletop, drill, and functional exercise packages that are fully adjustable. Once you choose the appropriate discipline and emergency scenario, you'll receive the exercise, all HSEEP's suggested paperwork pre-filled out, access to our online simulation environment, Chelsea County, USA, and 30 minutes of phone consultation. Get your time back at ttxvault.com. Welcome back from that quick break and thank you so much for listening to the sponsors because without them we couldn't do what we're doing here at EM Weekly and hit them up, check them out, say hi, tell them that uh, we sent you. Now for the rest of the story. 
what do you do now in between the disasters? Well, right now we're concentrating on developing the platform and getting it released and getting the right team on board. Like I said, I'm not uh, in the EMI profession. I am not uh, skilled in, in a lot of different aspects of what would be considered emergency management. So I'm trying to put together a team of people that are, but also people that are skilled in other areas. We need a kind of a, a wide uh, array of different folks when it comes to uh, being in control of this organization. Because when you look at disasters, there are so many different facets that have to come together in order to make things, you know, easier on people and, and actually coordinate things, you know, whether it's logistics, uh, healthcare, you know, emergency management, you know, food, things of that nature. I mean, there's just so many different levels and, and you know, assets and skill sets that are needed in times of distress. So we want to kind of get a, a wide array of, of people managing this particular organization. Uh, right now, we're not uh, doing anything active on the disaster side of things. We're, like I said, we're trying to get the platform established and get the right people on board, get some investors on board, and then kind of launch it out to the public. It's, uh, you know, it's currently up there. It's got a lot of the functionality. We've got the social media platform that allows people to come on, hit a button, upload their exact location. It goes into a queue. We have a command structure similar to the NIMS protocol. Allows only certain people to respond to certain events, and all of that is there. However, there's a lot of different functionalities that I want to put on the platform that I'm not really capable of building. I mean, I can. I'm pretty savvy at figuring things out, but uh, I don't want to pull out all my hair. So <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> trying to get the right investment partners on board with us to allow somebody else to build it. Uh, we're also looking at potentially rebuilding the whole platform. I would like for it to be on a, a little bit different of a, I guess, a platform, something that's called uh, blockchain. I don't know if you're familiar with that or your viewers are, but uh, blockchain, it's a, a way of uh, transmitting data from one place to another that allows it not to be altered. That's what Bitcoin is used. Uh, right. Bitcoin uses that, uh, that those protocols. And the reason why is because it can go from point A to point B without it being altered. It also allows for people to put their information on their own decentralized uh, servers. So like Facebook, when you log into Facebook and you like something, you uh, comment, all of that data goes onto their servers. And so they essentially, even though they say you own that data, they pretty much own that data because they are the ones in control of that data. So the decentralized platform allows people to put all of their likes and comments and whatever information that they put on that social media platform to be downloaded to their server, whether it's a Dropbox or you know just a cloud server or whatever. So they are in actual control of that information. And it also has opens up a lot of different doors to you know the cryptocurrency side of things. One of the things that we're also very concerned about is the transparency of donations. I know you had uh, a gentleman on your show not too long ago that is also building a platform that allows people to donate money uh, quickly and privately and securely and, and gives people a uh, kind of a, a much more transparent view of where that money is going. And so that, that's definitely one of our concerns. Uh, that's an experience that I experienced as well. There's a lot of abuse of the donations. People would drive from one donation drop to another and, and pick up diapers and then drive drive to the next one and pick up diapers and later on sell those particular diapers. And then also, you know, here recently I've kind of, I've been doing a fundraiser for the gentleman down in Thailand that was rescuing the kids out of the cave that uh, he died. And I was trying to do a uh, fundraiser for his family. 
and getting that money to them is, is like pulling teeth. You know, it, uh, you know, the, we were doing it through GoFundMe and, and they have to be a American citizen with a U.S. social security number and a U.S. address and, and things of that nature. So we're also concerned with providing a platform to allow people to, to get money to somebody and allow, you know, and make sure that that money is getting spent on the intended purpose. Well, you, know, you talked a little bit about this, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you have with creating this organization and trying to mainstream it? I guess the, the biggest challenge we've had is is finding the right investors. Uh, unfortunately, money is, is kind of what makes things go round. In order to get this platform out there and get it widely known and marketed properly and get the right people on board, you know, people have to realize uh, that there's some sort of backing behind it. But we're not trying to approach just any investor. Very, very picky on the type of people that we want to bring on board because our other thing that we're trying not to do or we won't do is we don't want to make money off disasters. We don't want to make money off of saving people's lives. Uh, We also uh, want to give this back to the people. My intentions are to give away essentially 80% of the company to the people of mainly the United States. So we're, we're trying to find folks that uh, aren't so much concerned with the income potential coming from this platform. We want people with good hearts that are, are mainly just concerned with, with helping people out. That's where our hearts are, and that's where we feel like we're best aligned with our investors. So just finding those uh, right folks in with the, the ability to help us out and fund this particular operation, is, it's been a little bit challenging. So you just said you, you want to give 80% back. How, how would that look? I mean, how, how does that help me, help me kind of wrap my head around that a little bit? All right. Well, the way we intend on doing that is, you know, we don't want this particular organization to be controlled by just a handful of people. Uh, we'd like everybody's input. And so the best way to do that is actually have them own a part of the company. And so I figured uh, 10% would go to the founders and another 10% would go to any kind of investors and the rest of the 80% would go to the people. And I'd mentioned blockchain and cryptocurrency before. We plan on doing an ICO, which is an initial coin offering, which is kind of like an IPO. It allows people to buy a certain percentage of the company that's backed by that, that cryptocurrency. It allows them to own that cryptocurrency. And what that cryptocurrency does is it it gives them a stake in the organization. And so the platform that we're doing, not only, you know, all the the disaster relief tools and things like that, but it also has uh, a lot of other things that we can utilize to allow people to kind of input their information as far as ways in which they think that the direction of the company should go. So if we have a certain thing that we're trying to accomplish or a question that we're trying to make a key decision on, we can actually put that up on the the platform and allow other people to uh, put their input and, and vote on that particular topic. That's one thing that the uh, the decentralized blockchain type uh, platform would allow us to do. It allows us to have people that are verified and vetted and only allowed to have you know one profile and there's certain protocols and, and checks and balances in place that allows them to, you know, vote on particular topics and kind of be somewhat in control of the company as a whole, as a community. And that's the one thing that was kind of very important to me. I I didn't want to be uh, the all-seeing, you know, emperors over this this organization. It's, it's, It's an organization for the people. And so, you know, I felt it was only right to give it back to the people. And I guess the way we intend on doing that is, 
we hopefully I don't get too carried on with this, but we, we also have the way of actually maintaining ourselves or, or funding our organization once we're up and running. We plan on doing kind of like an Uber of uh, all sorts of things. If we already have this platform that allows us to dispatch out an EMT or you know a boat mechanic or whatever it may be and allows them to respond to that, we figured that we can utilize this platform, allow them to you know utilize it on a day-to-day basis. That was the other thing that we noticed. You know, Mr. Boudreaux was having issues with is staying relevant. You know, once a disaster strikes, you know everybody and the brother wants to donate to them. But once that disaster over, they tend to forget about it, and you know they they tend to forget about giving the money as well. So we, we had to figure out a way to make this uh, organization relevant on a day to day basis, and that's where this uh, this kind of Uber of EMTs idea came in. So what we're going to do is we're going to allow people to sign up on the platform. We're going to verify their identity. We're going to verify their credential. If there's an issue with somebody, say, having a myocardial infarction uh, at a restaurant and one of our EMTs are eating next door, we can send out a push notification saying, hey, there's somebody having a heart attack next door. Would you respond? And then they respond to it and they say they're live or whatever. And we would give them a little chunk of that cryptocurrency for doing that good deed. On top of that, we would also allow them to have a higher ranking on our platform to advertise for non-emergency, non-critical type uh, situations. We figured, you know, an EMT could be utilized in so many different occasions that aren't necessarily critical issues. And so we felt that if uh, we gave them a platform that allowed them to operate. Like I said, uh, I hate the analogy, but you know, like an Uber for EMTs, if uh, they went out there and and made some money and and kind of were their own boss and set their own schedule and uh, kind of cut out the middleman. And also, you know, like I said, we didn't want to make money off of people saving people's lives. Uh, So we figured if we can uh, kind of reward them for doing good deeds, then, you know, that would be a kind of a win-win situation for everybody. Do you guys plan on doing any like disaster preparedness stuff and getting involved in that end of the business or no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the goal of this organization is to be kind of a multifaceted uh, organization. I'd like to be involved with everything uh, disaster. And that's another way, uh, you know, that I felt was a, a very much need, a needed thing was people wanting to get involved with disasters and emergency preparations and, you know, EMI in general. And so if we put, were to put up some courses online that they were to perform and complete, not only would it allow their community to be a better community by having more prepared and educated people, but they could actually also earn a part of the company. We would reward them in that cryptocurrency that allows them to own part of the company. So it's kind of a way that you know gives people some motivation or incentive to become more educated and, and actually go out there and help folks. So yeah, we plan on having all sorts of uh, different seminars and, and training programs and probably integrate with uh, the FEMA training program somehow or another that allows them to you know essentially complete that course, have that credential on their profile on the social media platform, and then get rewarded for it as well. So if somebody's trying to get a hold of you, how would they be able to find you? Well, uh, I do a lot of LinkedIn. Um, that's pretty much the only social media platform that I, I stick to. I, I got off Facebook a couple of years ago. I mean, I'm still on there, but I don't ever post. You, you know, just look up John Cole, Texas Disasters on LinkedIn. I'm there. You can also shoot me an email at uh, john at texasdis.com, T-X-D-I-S.com. You can also leave my phone number with you uh, either way. Sure. Okay. And then what book 
or books would you recommend to somebody who's interested in learning more about kind of what happened down in Harvey and stuff? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you, Todd. I don't have a specific book that is related to emergency management. I, I thought long and hard when I saw that question. You know, the, the best book I can I can refer people to, or uh, I guess author in general, that has helped me in, in so many different ways. I figure a lot of people who are in the EM field are, are kind of like me. They're very technical. And for the technically minded folks uh, out there, I, I believe any book by Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee Strobel, he's a Christian author. He does a lot of different books like The Case for Christ, Case for Miracles, uh, things like that. I think pretty much if, if you get your fundamentals uh, down with Man Upstairs, then everything else will fall in place from there. So any book by Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, is a good one to start off with. That's a good recommendation. That's uh, I think you're right about that. Cool. So before I let you go, and we have a few minutes here, but what, if there's any one thing you could say to emergency manager out there, what, what would it be? Well, I guess uh, I need your feedback. Um, you know, get on LinkedIn with me. I'm, I'm posting different things every day. I, I really haven't put my whole business plan out there, uh, but I'm kind of putting out uh, bits and pieces just to get everybody's feedback. Uh, today, I actually did a post uh, for all my EMT contacts, finding out if you know something like the Uber of EMT uh, concept was a needed concept, uh, or if they could see any kind of pitfalls involved with it and things of that nature. So I'd like your interaction. You know, like I said, I'm not an EM professional, so uh, you know I, I'd like to learn as much as I can. I'd like to learn you know people's different perspectives on things and people that have been in the field and have way more experience than I do. I'd, I'd like to know their input on things. Uh, so please reach out to me, ask me questions, and connect with me and let's uh you know let's build this together well john it was a pleasure having you on the on the show today and, and talking about some of the cool stuff you're doing down there in texas and thank you by the way for putting your your time effort and, and your life at risk when you were helping the people of houston during during harvey i was much appreciated and, and i'm really proud of, of people like you that that step forward and, and and do the right thing i agree there are so many people that did way more than i did you know i, I like i said i was struck with nothing but but issues uh but through those issues you know i'm trying to make something good out of it but uh you know there's there's some great people out there that did some, some fantastic things and, uh you're you're right i'm, I'm very proud of our, our neighbors and friends that all came together to, to help people out in the time of need. And, uh, definitely warm the heart all right john well again thank you for your time and uh let's do this again sometime Absolutely. I appreciate your time, and uh, it was an honor to, to sit down and chat with you.